Welcome to the Alcohol Tipping Point Podcast. I'm your host, Deb Maisner. I'm a registered nurse, health coach, and alcohol-free badass. And today I have Kim Singleton on the show, and we're going to talk a bit about, well, maybe a lot, about drinking and disordered eating, and we're going to get all into it. So, Kim, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this topic today. Yeah, can you give a little intro about who you are, what you do before we dive in? Yeah, yeah. So um, my name is Kim Singleton. Uh, I currently live in Colorado Springs. Um, We are actually moving to Ireland uh, later this year. My husband is um, active duty military. Yeah, yes. Kind of threw us for a loop when we found that out. But um, he's in the the United States military, so I'm obviously a military spouse of uh, 10 years. Um, I'm a mom to a five-and-a-half-year-old little girl, and we're expecting um, baby number two, a little boy, in June. Um, We did go through over four years of infertility uh, treatments and everything, and um, called it quits last year, and uh, we were pleasantly surprised in in October. So um, lots of changes going on in our family right now. Um, I'm also currently in graduate school for my master's in public health, um, focusing in on health behavior at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And um, luckily, I'm able to do that uh, remotely anywhere so it doesn't interfere with this this uh, this nomad lifestyle. Um, so, yeah, that's just a little bit about me. I'm also two and a half years sober. Um, I quit drinking in September of 2019. Um, after many years of struggling with trying to be a normal drinker. So, um, yeah, that's, that's about me. Wow. Well, congratulations. You do have a lot going on. <laughs> Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Good things. Overwhelming, but yeah. Yeah, I bet. Well, I don't even know where to start. So you... We can start with your experience with drinking, with disordered eating, like sometimes they're so tied together. Like what, what do you think would be a good place to start? Yeah. I mean, actually we can just start with kind of both of them because they are, especially my experience, they are so um, quite closely tied together. My drinking and my disordered eating, um, looking back, obviously like started around the same time. Um, about when I was like 15. So I started drinking as a teenager um, and it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Um, you know, where I come from, it just, you know, teenage drinking wasn't, it was just kind of, you know, of the norm. Uh, I never did get into drugs, uh, although several of my friends uh, close to me did dabble in that. Um, I, I was just always just uh, alcohol was, you know, kind of my thing. Um, and uh I looking back, like I know that I suffered from like anxiety and like low self-confidence and self-worth since childhood and also had bouts of depression. Um, but it was undiagnosed and nothing was really done, um, you know, in that department. My family and home life were really chaotic around the same time too, as well. I had like a lot of lack of parental guidance. Um, my parents had divorced a few years before that and I had um, a pretty stagnant relationship with my dad. Um, it wasn't bad or anything. It just was kind of non-existent. Um, my mom was pretty emotionally unavailable from a pretty toxic relationship that she was in at the time. And um, that would continue on for eight years. And I think that's just a combination of these things um, kind of triggered um, my disordered eating because I felt like a lot of my life was just so out of control. 
Um, and that was a way of like, I, I guess, like me to control things um, in my life. And then also drinking just helped, you know, numb me out and make me um, just more, you know, social. I always suffered from like a lot of social anxiety. So um, it was just a culmination of things. And um, it was just, yeah. So ever since my teens, um, my drinking, I was never really considered a normal drinker. Um, I know this isn't very uncommon in the teenage years. Um, you know, binge drink is pretty prevalent, but um, brownouts and blackouts were pretty common for me. I uh, didn't really know that, you know, just like having one or two drinks, you know, is, you know, people do that. It was just always when I drink, I drink very hard and that would continue on into adulthood. Um, and then with my eating, like I said, it, it kind of just started as a form of, uh, you know, control with like restriction. Um, but I was never, I was always of normal weight. Um, and that's like the interesting thing. I was never, it didn't start as like, you know, me trying to go on a diet or anything like that. Um, it was basically just in, I'll never forget. I was in chemistry class the sophomore year and I learned what a calorie was and, you know, calorie in calorie out and stuff like that. And, um, that's when, and this was back in 2000, I'm 36 now. So this is back in like 2002. I graduated high school in 2004. Um, so social media wasn't even like around back then besides like my space. Um, and that's when I kind of started doing like food journals and I would like write down things that I ate during the day. And it was very innocent. Um, I would see these things in magazines that were really um, prominent back then. I remember it was like oxygen and self magazine and stuff. And I would um, see these women that were in the fitness industry and not that I ever like wanted to strive to be in the fitness industry, but I would see what they were doing and you would see like their meal plans and stuff like that. And I just kind of took that and ran with it. And um this continued on for, you know, years and I, I started, you know, uh, running and, uh, now I can see that it was, you know, a form of like exercise addiction as well. Um, but I just thought it was like me trying to be healthy all at the same time. I was, you know, uh, consuming a carcinogen and massive amounts and blacking mm -hmm. out. Um, but you're just, you know, so young and naive and you don't, you don't know that, you know, you don't know how toxic these two things are. And how they were both um, a form of uh, self-destruction and coping mechanisms. You know, you have alcohol that numbs you and, you know, suppresses your feelings, good and bad. Um, and then you have distorted eating as you're using as a form of, like, self-control. But it can also numb you out, you know, too, um, to help you, not really help you, but make you avoid your feelings. So that's kind of how things started with me. And then how, how did they progress? Like, did you tackle your drinking problem first or your, your disordered eating first? Or how did you navigate that? Yeah, yeah. So I think that actually, um, like I said, my disordered eating wasn't anything, um, I don't want to say out of the ordinary, but it was, there was really no red flags to my family. I didn't lose a massive amount of weight or anything, you know, like that. Um it was actually what I think really triggered me from going to disordered eating and, you know, uh, maybe like over exercising to actual eating disorder. And I do, I should mention that I've never been formally diagnosed with an eating disorder. However, um, there's like 30 million, 30 million people in the world that, you know, have an eating disorder and less than 10% of them are, are everly formally diagnosed. 
Um, cause for a long time, I think that I felt like maybe I, I wasn't as, I wasn't as bad because I was never formally diagnosed, you know, in therapy or, you know, inpatient treatment or anything like that. But I was also never honest with my therapist either over the years about things either. Um, but when I crossed the line from a disordered eating to actually what would be considered textbook eating disorder was when I started taking Adderall uh, when I was 19. Um, I was never formally, and Adderall is actually a, it's a stimulant drug that um, helps treat ADD and ADHD. And this is another thing that's not talked about um, very often as, as well. Um, and it's very prominent um, in the college setting. Um, and I've actually realized just from talking and being open about my story that a lot of um, people use it as a form of like weight loss, um, mm-hmm. especially mothers, um, uh, you know, for folks that are a little bit older. But um, it was very prominent in the college setting with me. And I was um, never formally diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. However, I was legally prescribed it by my doctor, my family doctor. I just went to the doctor it was pretty easy back then and you know said all these things I was feeling and um he put me he he gave me a prescription to Adderall and um one of the side effects of Adderall I mean there's a lot of side effects of Adderall but is uh suppressed appetite and um I didn't initially go there for that reason it was more I was very tired and down and uh Lack of motivation, I couldn't concentrate, but looking back, that's, those are all signs of depression. Um, so I should have been treated for depression, but I was given this, you know, stimulant to, you know, um, cover that up. And um, once I, you know, it completely changes your, the chemistry in your brain and it does, it gives you, you know, a boost of energy. Um, and then it also does suppress your appetite. So I would be going all day without eating very much. Um, and I would be consuming, you know, large amounts of caffeine back then I would drink sugar-free monsters a lot, um, lattes from, from Starbucks and, um, and then, you know, eating very little. And then at night I'd be going out with my friends or drinking alone. I was actually in my adult years, more of a closet binge drinker, but, um, and then I'd be, you know, consuming a lot of alcohol. And when you don't eat, um, you're, and, you know, when you don't eat and then you're drinking, um, your blackouts are just, you know, you're so much more prevalent. And um, that's kind of where I crossed the line right there. And I that's when I kind of did start um, getting more into eating disorder behavior, because when you're not eating, you're restricting, but then your body needs to make up for it the next day. Um, and then I would go on these, you know, binges. And I hate, sometimes I hate using the word binge because a binge can be different from person to person. Um, you know, the amount of food that you consume and everything like that. But I, I'd be feeling like crap the next day because I would be hungover. So I'd be eating foods that I normally wouldn't eat. And I should say that I've always been a pretty mindful eater. Um, when it, um, you know, I, I've always liked, um, you know, more health, healthy, you know, foods growing up. My mom, you know, we always ate a bunch of fruits and vegetables and lean cuts of meat and stuff like that. But the next day when you're feeling like crap and you don't really care and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're coming down from this Adderall high, um, you just eat whatever. And so this kind of cycle continued on for years. Um, and I was finally able to get off Adderall when I was 25. Um, and basically Long story short, my husband, well, he was my boyfriend back then, but gave me an ultimatum. Um, he knew he could tell my personality changed and I was on it. Um, I was a lot more 
my eyes were glazed over just a lot. I was just a lot different. I was a lot flakier. Um, I had a lot more anxiety when I was on the Adderall and he basically said, you know, gave me an ultimatum. So um, I was finally able to get off Adderall after multiple attempts of, of stopping. And I should say, I do not suggest stopping cold turkey from something like that. Um, you definitely need to wean yourself off that and probably consult a, you know, a health professional while you do so, um, cause it could be pretty dangerous. Um, and then I also, that was my first bout of sobriety uh, as I quit drinking and I stopped taking Adderall at the same time. And that was when my, my, my now husband, but he went away to, um, uh, OCS. That's when he decided to go back in the military as an officer. He graduated college, wanted to go back in as an officer. So we spent a year apart. So I stopped drinking and taking Adderall and I was completely sober for that year, but it was, it was more a means to an end. Um, by, uh, I knew that I, I, you know, we wanted to be together, but I needed to get my act together. And I was bailing out of college during that time. I was in and out of school, um, and then once I stopped drinking, I actually did super well. Um, I made the Dean's list. Um, things were just, I mended the relationship with my mother. Like I said, she was in a very toxic relationship. Things were just really going well, but it was, I never considered to never drink again. That, that just didn't even enter my mind. I knew that I wouldn't take Adderall again, but I figured once things, you know, um, were going well, then I would, you know, be a normal drinker. You know, I, I didn't really think I had a drinking problem. I just... Yeah. So I started drinking again the following year and I, I guess I was considered a normal drinker. However, it's always been really hard for me. I've never seen the point of just having one or two drinks. Um, and this cycle of, um, trying really hard to be a normal drinker and uh, having bouts of sobriety here and there, um, would continue on for another decade. Um, I wouldn't stop drinking until I was 34. Um, and that's when I pretty much realized, um, that I can't be a normal drinker. It's all or nothing for me. Um, and I also realized once I was, uh, you know, during my bouts of sobriety that um, my disordered eating behavior uh, was very tidely uh, or was very closely tied to my, um, my drinking, you know, behavior as well. So, um, but I didn't really realize how much these two went hand in hand until I fully got sober and committed to sobriety. And I was, you know, in therapy and I, I didn't, I just didn't realize that these two go hand in hand so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, and that brings me to you and you had posted about a term called drunkorexia. Yes. And this was actually something that I didn't realize. Um, it was until I, I got sober and um, one of the, I guess, a, one of my tools in my toolkit once I fully committed to not drinking anymore was, you know, at first I just was just didn't want to drink. You know, that that's that was the, the my goal each day is just not drink, get through the first, you know, for a few days in the first couple of weeks in the first few months. And then I really started diving into you know, drinking and why we drink. And, um, I started doing my own research and I found this term called drunkorexia and it was just, I mean, it completely explained my behavior, um, you know, over the years. And it's basically, you know, replacing meals, um, with alcohol or skipping meals to feel the effects of alcohol more. Um, and it's very prominent well, at any age, but especially in the college settings, 
um, I should say. And a lot of times, I mean, there's so many um, risks or, you know, that, that lead to this, um, especially blackouts. And that explains the amount of blackouts that I've had over the years. And it's, it's scary looking back, but, um, and it's not, I feel like a lot of people do that, especially women. I don't want to like generalize anything, but they will, you know, try to like save their calories, um, you know, for the drinking, or if they want to feel the effects, you know, stronger or, um, and it's just, yeah, it's something that I just couldn't believe that it was actually, you know, an actual term. Yeah. And that, that's where I related so much. Um, it, and just the whole disordered eating and I want to make sure I have some terminology, right though. So, so the drunkorexia, um, is basically a slang term used to describe the unhealthy phenomenon of restricting an individual's diet to little or nothing so that he or she may engage in binge drinking without weight gain. Mm -hmm. And then when we're talking about disordered eating and eating disorders, what's, what's some of the correct terminology to use when we're talking about those? Yeah, I think that um, number one, the term eating disorder really freaks a lot of people out. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, by textbook terms, I would, I would be considered, or I would have considered, you know, having an eating disorder by textbook terms, but there's a very fine line between, like you said, like what's considered disordered eating and what's an actual eating disorder. And it basically is the frequency of the behavior. Um, And uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it, the frequency and maybe the intensity of it as well. Um, Because I mean, there's a lot of things that are kind of very questionable, for example, like intermittent fasting. Um, That was another behavior that I engaged in and it's perfectly accepted by society. Um, And I'm not, I don't want to totally bash it. Some people do it for, you know, certain health reasons or whatever, but um, that is a form of restriction. But when does it cross the line from, you know, um, restriction to, you know, uh, restriction in the form of disordered eating to an actual eating disorder? Um, because with intermittent fasting, I should explain if anyone isn't aware, it's where you're basically doing blocks of time where you don't um, uh, ingest any food and you're restricting your food intake. Usually it's um, at nighttime, you know, you'll do windows. Um, so say you don't eat past 6 p.m. or something, and then you don't eat. A lot of people will do like 12 or 16 hours of fasting and then you wouldn't eat until like 6 a.m. or maybe like 10 a.m. the next day. And then you'll have a window of, you know, anywhere between like six to eight hours to eat your food. Um, but honestly, if you really look at it and be honest, it's it's that is a form of restriction. That is a form of disordered eating. Um, but that can also very easily lead to eating disorder behavior in the form of restriction or anorexia. Yeah. And, and then I just want to clarify when we're talking about disordered eating and eating disorders, um, we're talking typically about anorexia, which is the restriction of food and then binging, which is what it sounds like overeating, binging Mm -hmm. on food and then bulimia, which involves purging of food afterwards. Right. Right. And, um, I think what's what well, not I think that I sometimes the like, there's a misconception of what bulimia could actually be. So bulimia is um, you're going to you, typically you'll restrict food um, and then you'll um, engage in a binging behavior 
Um, it doesn't always have to be, you know, massive amounts of food. It could be what's considered a normal amount of food, but then you're going to purge these foods either, either via um, self-induced vomiting or uh, laxative usage, usage or a big one that a lot of people that we see a lot of nowadays is over-exercising to compensate mm-hmm. for the amount of calories that are consumed. So it could be any of those three things is a way to purge, purge the food. I think a lot of people, especially in the media, uh, movies and stuff like that, you, you just pretty much see it being self-induced vomiting, but there are other ways to um, purge, purge food with bulimia. And my personal experience um, was uh, anorexia and uh, bulimia. Um, so, and with binge eating, um, is actually binge eating disorder is the newest out of all of the eating disorders that have been, um, uh, that, that are, have been introduced over the past several years. Um, but that's the most prominent, more people suffer from binge eating disorder than either one, but that's the one that's not really talked about as much. And I know it's associated with a lot of shame. Um, I mean, just as all eating disorders are. Yeah. I mean, all of this is associated with shame, you know, having a drinking problem and disordered eating. And I mean, all of that is something it's so common I, I was looking up some of the stats, and forgive me if I'm You can find a variety of stats, but you had mentioned that 30 million people of all ages and gender suffer from an eating disorder. I think you had said worldwide, but that's actually the United States is what I found, which is... Really? Okay. Yeah, right? So, it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very common. Um, one in five women struggle with an eating disorder. It's actually the number one killer. Of, yes, aside uh, from opioids. And yeah, so it has the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really significant. And, and like you said, a lot of people aren't diagnosed. Um, the stat I have was that over 70% of people will not seek treatment um, right? due to the stigma and misperceptions and just like a lack of education and, and how it gets diagnosed and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so of those women, I just want to point out like 10 million men also have eating disorders. Right. And that's, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you pointing that out as well, because um, I feel like the media makes it seem like it's more of a woman's mental health, um, mm-hmm. you know, disorder. And um, I've actually, since I've opened up about, you know, my own struggles last year with, you know, disordered eating, and I've been, I've been what's considered fully recovered for several years. Um, but I also noticed I still had some lingering disordered eating behaviors, but anyways, um, it also helped me connect with a lot of men that are on social media. Not a lot. I I would have to be honest, like there's way, way more women that are, you know, out there talking about this, but it's just, it's been so interesting having conversations with these men because they feel the same way too. You know, they want, they see these men, um, you know, that are, you know, have a lot of muscle, you know, very lean, especially, you know, now on Instagram, you know, you see a lot of health coaches and people, um, you know, trying to promote, you know, weight loss uh, programs and things like that. And there's men out there that see this as well. And, and just like women, they want to look like that. So it just starts out very innocently and it just things progress. And before you know, you know, it's, it spirals into disordered eating or even an eating disorder. So 
um, I really, you know, I appreciate when men are open and honest about that, but I know it's, it's a lot more difficult. It's unfortunate just because of the stigma, um, you know, and stereo stereotypes that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because this is a podcast about drinking, um, let's go back to drunkorexia because that, okay. that is where I was like, oh my God, that is what I did. Like, mm-hmm. Well, my, I guess I should share a bit of my story with disordered eating. Um, like many young women, uh, I've started like in grade school. I remember, I remember being in sixth grade and just looking at the seam of my pants <laughs> on my calf muscles and I could see it kind of pulling apart because my jeans were tight and I was like, oh my God, I'm fat, you know? And mm-hmm. just like you had that moment. Um, well, everyone has that moment, but it's just, it just happens so young. And then I just remember like doing doing the PBS exercise shows <laughs> that were free on yes. TV. <laughs> and then like riding my bike around the neighborhood. And, you know, it just all started then. And, and it was more like restrictive eating, um, becoming obsessed with it at one point or the other. And then... Um, I entered, you know, junior high, I started drinking and like you, it was like, what is the point of one? I did not Mm -hmm. see the point of that. And so drinking started into my life and it, I wouldn't say it got especially tied together, but I would later in life be saving my calories for alcohol. I remember Mm -hmm. I would just be like, okay, I want to have a bottle of wine tonight. So what can I eat today? (laughs) Or, or totally overcompensating with exercise or punishing myself with exercise and, um, tried out bulimia for a while in my twenties after college and my first job. And I was working night shift, everything. I mean, my eating habits were so screwed up. And so I would binge and purge and, quickly discovered like that's not really working for me, but I I thought I'd give it a try because it just seems like it should work, right? Um, <laughs> and then I transitioned into like over-exercising and training for triathlons and running okay. half marathons and, and compensating that way. And then eating, like you said, eating, being so health-minded, um, mm-hmm. eating so healthily, but still drinking <laughs> and, and, and just the, the, the things that we tell ourselves, like I would not drink juice. Like I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. Right. Right. I it's could actually, never. <laughs> right. And, um, that, that's like, uh, we, I should actually mention. So orthorexia was another, um, eating disorder and it's very, very new. I actually don't even think that it's um, part. I don't even know if you can actually be formally diagnosed with it yet, but it, it eventually will be, um, will be, uh, I know they're, they're working on that, but that is just when you're, um, overly, when you're so overly like healthy, when it comes to your eating, um, mm-hmm. you know, you won't eat certain foods because they're not deemed healthy enough. Um, and so that, I mean, I'm not saying that you had that or anything like that. I definitely did. Um, but that was, you know, certain things I really got into like all organic and, you know, just making sure, you know, lean cuts of meat, where did my meat come from? Um, you know, stuff like that. So that, I mean, that sounds very similar. Yeah. And then, you know, going back to the drinking thing, like I, I initially wanted to quit drinking to lose weight. And that was like 
a pattern like, oh, if I do a dry month, I'll lose weight. Or, you know, maybe I should switch from beer to wine. Or, I mean, mm-hmm. look at White Claws. I mean, we're, we are feeding into that drink, you know, oh, low-calorie yeah. drinks, skinny margaritas and cocktails. Right, and right. Just so counterintuitive. Um, but it, I wasn't really successful with quitting drinking until I could untie that from losing weight. And okay. I tell people that a lot, like... Just eat because I, 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 I just say like, don't focus on now I'm just focusing on drinking and quitting drinking, but it's like, don't focus on dieting and losing weight. Just eat, focus on practicing, not drinking, make that be your only goal. Have that Sunday, have the candy, whatever can get you through because I couldn't Mm -hmm. do them both and that's that's just my experience but it kind of makes me think like if someone is suffering from both an eating disorder and a drinking problem like which do you tackle first and how do you tackle that and what are are your thoughts about that yeah I I mean I 100% agree I wasn't like I said I wasn't um it wasn't until I was able to get fully sober and devote you know, um, commit, commit to not drinking that I was able to actually look back and, um, honestly accept that I did have eating disorders at certain points in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying this is true for everyone, but I really believe, like you said, you need to probably more than likely quit drinking before you're able to tackle your issues with food. I just don't see how it could be possible to continue drinking normally, um, even normally, I, I don't like, it doesn't even have to be binge drinking behavior, even drinking normally, because even after one or two, you know, drinks, your, uh, it's your, your brain. I mean, you're just, you think differently, you know, and some people, a lot of times will, um, you know, it'll make them feel hungrier or, you know what I mean? And maybe they would eat things that they normally wouldn't eat. Um, you know, if they weren't drinking, you know, a lot of times people, it'll make, you know, you know, but, um, yeah, I definitely had to tackle my drinking first before I was able to look back and take a good hard look and be honest with myself about my eating disorders and my disordered eating behavior. Um, and but I mean, like I said, it, it's different for everyone. But that's interesting that you had the same correlation. Yeah, I, I feel like it's brought up a lot of stuff <laughs> that I've kind of forgotten about. And and I um it's interesting because I've I've let that go, but I've also kind of let myself go. Like, because I don't drink, I'm like, I mean, I'm two plus years sober now. And I, but I've kind of been ha- using that as a free ride for long enough, I think, <laughs> where I'm like, well, I don't drink so I can eat whatever I want. Like, I don't drink so I don't need to do this or that. And so... I'm finding the balance again um, between healthy eating and not overindulging. Right. And there's also like addiction transfer. And I'm not saying like everyone that drinks has an addiction, but if you quit drinking, it could be, you could easily fall into disordered eating behavior as well. I know that when I um, stopped drinking, that's, you know, after a few months, um, I, I didn't like relapse or anything like that, but I went back and I could, I was able to recognize, all right, I'm still engaging in some of this restriction, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought it was perfectly normal. Like I said, intermittent fasting, and I never was very hardcore with like, um, 
windows or anything like that. But um, I would tell myself, you know, I would drink a couple cups of coffee or a couple cups of tea in the morning instead of eating right away when I was hungry. And, you know, I didn't looking back, I was hungry and I probably should have eaten, but I was drinking this, you know, I was drinking these like non-existent calories instead to avoid eating, you know, and that's completely normalized um, by society, especially social media, you know, and that's kind of one, it was just little behaviors that I noticed once I got sober. And like I said, it took a while for me to notice these things um, that I started engaging in again. Um, I started becoming very borderline obsessive with, you know, what I was eating. And, you know, cause I was like, oh my God, I was consuming this carcinogen for all these years, trying to clean up, you know, making sure everything was like organic. And, you know, that's when it, and it just kind of manifested from there. And then that's when I kind of really started digging around into the correlation between drinking and eating disorders. But also when a lot of people quit drinking, they will, you know, you hear about like your, you become like, they joke about like becoming like addicted to sugar mm-hmm. and people are like, well, at least it's not, you know, alcohol, a carcinogen or, you know, things like that. And I, I agree. I do. But, um, I've been kind of attacked by this actually too on social media when I've talked about this, because I'm like, yes, I, I completely agree. You need to just do whatever you can to like not drink and get through that. So you're able to come to a place where you're comfortable with, uh, you know, whether you identify as a sober person or being alcohol free, whatever, you know, but be comfortable, um, in this, you know, um, new role that you have in your life of, you know, being alcohol free. Um, but at the same time, I don't really encourage anyone to just, you know, eat whatever they want or consume all of the sugar because that can really set someone up that has a history of disordered eating for, you know, something that could turn into, you know, an eating disorder down the line. Yeah, it's so interesting. I'm I'm glad that you brought up transfer addictions um, because I've been doing just a little bit of research into bariatric surgery patients. So just going back to this connection, um, so post-bariatric surgery patients. So I guess if people don't know what that is, that's a a surgery to reduce the size of your stomach. Um, There's different ways you can do the surgery. Um, but basically for weight loss for obese individuals. And uh, they have a much higher rate post-surgery of alcohol use addiction and disorders. Interesting. I did. I, I have read that before. So something, just something to be aware. I mean, we all have to find that that happy balance and, and what works best for you. Um what would you say if anyone is looking to change their relationship with food and alcohol? Um, I definitely think that you need to have compassion for yourself, number one, um, and really invest, you know, as cliche as it sounds, but in healing. And I'm not just talking about like money towards therapy. I know not everyone has the luxury of that, you know, um, the finances to, you know, um, have therapy, but, um, just your time, like start researching and start really digging around to the behaviors, um, that you, that you are, that you have, um, there's a lot of resources out there. Uh, I know when I stopped drinking, um, what was actually before I stopped drinking that really helped was like online platforms. Um, and I kind of have, I don't want to say love hate relationship with social media, but, um, 
I think there's a lot of good and a lot of bad when it comes to social media, but it was very, a very um, valuable resource to me when I, when I stopped drinking and when I started digging around um, into analyzing my own relationship with food. And um, that just means, you know, there's like Facebook groups out there. Um, There's a lot of people that you can follow on Instagram that are considered like anti-diet or recovery accounts. Um, there's actually, uh, Holly Whitaker, she wrote, uh, quit like a woman. And she has talked about the correlation between drinking and, um, you know, disordered eating as well in her book. And then also on her, on her Instagram account, um, Emily Paulson is another one. She wrote the book highlight, uh, highlight reel. And she's talked about this as well. Um, let's see who else is there. Uh, Amanda White, she actually just came out with the book. Um, she is a therapist, um, on Instagram and, um, she wrote the book, not drinking tonight. And that just actually came out, uh, maybe about a month or two ago. And she's done a lot of, um, Instagram lives and podcasts about, about drinking and, um, eating disorders. She actually, um, had an eating disorder and she talks about the correlation between the two as well. And then Lindsay Hall, um, you can find her on Instagram. Uh, she's a freelance writer, but she was actually one of the first that I uh, that I saw on Instagram, and I um, I'm not actually even sure how I found her. Uh, but she talks more about eating disorders, but she's also talked about her issue with drunkorexia um, as well. And um, and she's I I love how just flat out honest she is about about um, her drinking and her eating um, disorder, and just how the two overlap. Um, so, I mean, that's, I think that any type of, um, you know, connection that you can make with anyone, um, whether it's like through, you know, recovery, um, you know, accounts or just, you know, there's a lot of groups out there, Sober Mom Squad, um, The Luckiest Club, there's some podcasts, um, called Sober Powered, um, Jill has talked about this issue before, and then this Naked Mind podcast, I know Annie Grace has touched on, um, this as well. And um, I guess the number one top tip that I have, though, would be to be honest with yourself and tell someone. Um, I wasn't able to stop drinking until I actually came out and told my mom and my husband how bad things were. And then the same thing with um, opening up about my eating disorders, because my husband didn't have any idea how bad things were in my past. And um just even like behaviors that are considered kind of normal. And I'm like, no, these are actually, they're considered normal because we see them all over Facebook and Instagram, but this is actually a form of disordered eating. And anyone that has an eating disorder or, um, you know, they have no business engaging in these types of behaviors. So I just needed to be flat out honest with him and tell him certain behaviors so I could be held accountable. Um, so he could be on the lookout if I was, you know, starting to uh, engage in them. And it's just also, I mean, it's very, very difficult, but it's comforting having someone there that knows what's going on and that you can turn to, um, to provide, you know, some, you know, encouragement and support. Absolutely. And I'll, I will link to those resources you talked about in the show notes. Okay, great. Um, well, gosh, I just, I, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. I, I think, like you said, it, it's not talked about enough. I mean, just like drinking isn't talked about enough and um, just this disordered eating. I keep calling it disordered eating so that that can encompass diagnosis or not. Um, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I, I think that just like what I would add to what you said is just like with drinking problems, like eating disorders, like their recovery is possible. You can change and it's not too late to change. So I always like to give people hope that you, you are not broken and this is something that you can overcome. Yes, for sure. Um, and it's, it's far more common. I know that a lot of people feel, I mean, well, at least I did very alone in my drinking and I try to justify my behaviors over the years. So it, mm. I could talk myself out of not thinking I had a problem and same thing with my, you know, disordered eating, but it's far more common than you, than you realize. Um, oh yeah. I mean that 30 million stat in the U S it's right. common. You know what was interesting? I was listening to the Huberman Lab has a podcast. I, I'm going to link to that too. Um, he's a neuroscientist and my boyfriend. I'm just kidding. Oh, wow. No, he's not. I'm totally kidding. Oh. <laughs> I wish he was my boy. I have kind of a crush on Huberman. <laughs> it's a running joke, but I love that you thought he was my boy. I won't tell my husband that. <laughs> Uh, I love that. Anyway, he has a podcast called The Huberman Lab. He's a neuroscientist out of uh, Stanford, and he did a, an interesting episode about disordered eating, eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, whatnot. And he found in anorexia, interestingly enough, just that specific one, you know, it's been around since the 1600s. And it shows up in every culture, no matter what, mm -hmm. even even food poor cultures. And I just found that really interesting. Um, it's just fascinating, the science around it. Right, right. And I should another book that um, really helped me I and mean, I love it. And I've actually I'm actually rereading it right now because the first time I read it, I listened to it, an audiobook, and then I read it. And then now I'm like going through and actually like highlighting different things from it. Um, but it's called Anti-Diet uh, by Christy Harrison. And you mm. can find her on Instagram as well. She actually has a podcast as well. And it's um, she doesn't talk so much about drinking, but you can see like the overlap of like a lot of behaviors when it comes to disordered eating. Um, and, uh, you know, and drinking in there, but she goes through the history of, you know, eating disorders and, um, not just eating disorders, but also disorder eating and how it, like I said, like centuries ago started and then how it kind of started like intervening in American culture, um, as well, like in the early 1900s. And it's just, I mean, it's just fascinating, um, how much it's evolved in it. A lot of times it, you know, changes these diets that people are on, um, <laughs> you know, they change forms right now. We're in this wave where it's not really considered a diet. It's a lifestyle. You know, it's not mm -hmm. a diet. It's a lifestyle change. And that's where we're at right now in society is it's more of a lifestyle. And, um, but it's, when it comes down to it, it's, they're pretty much all the same. They have all the same roots. Um, so yeah, that's another book that I would definitely check out. That's great. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to share for our listeners? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Just, like I said, um, these two topics are just far more common than you, than you imagine. Um, don't be embarrassed or, you know, ashamed. Um, it's conversations like this that are going to, you know, help reduce the stigma. And I mean, that's another actually reason why I'm going back to school, get my master's in public health is because I want, 
I want to help, you know, reduce the stigma and just break the, uh, the, the systemic, um, you know, healthcare and financial and um, barriers, you know, and provide more treatment access, whether it's, you know, inpatient or just having outlets like this um, for people to become, you know, open and honest, you know, about, because that's honestly the way that we're going to change is it's through connection and being vulnerable, um, you know, with ourselves and with each other. Um, so yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and having this conversation. Um, I'm excited for you and your future in Ireland. What a beautiful place to go to. And congratulations on your pregnancy and, and your child and life that you've made for yourself now. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. It'll be, you know, an exciting but stressful year, but um, all good things, like you said. <laughs> good. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, you, I will post all these resources in the show notes Thank you for listening to the show today. If you like it, please feel free to leave a review, um, subscribe, and share it with your friends. Share it on social media, and we can help other people together. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point. I'm always here for you guys, so please feel free to reach out and talk to me on Instagram at Alcohol Tipping Point. And check out my website, alcoholtippingpoint.com. Again, I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, see you next time.